from the intersection of Sunset Boulevard and Pastry, Minnesota. You download Maine, Event, Status, Radio, with your host, Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210 Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Main Event Status Radio. I am thrilled to have uh, my guest on for today, Brian Alvarez from WrestlingObserver.com. How's it going, Brian? How's it going, Eric? Oh, you know, just like I said before, we, before recording, it's fun to try to figure out the Skype thing. Yeah, we uh, we had a little issue, but uh, seems to be working good now. So yeah, I know you've been doing a lot of uh, going on a lot, doing a lot of interviews for uh, your book, Death of WCW, that's just been released. Well, tomorrow, re-released tomorrow. That's right. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask is, why did you and RD want to write this book to begin with ten years ago? Well, I mean, he approached me about it. He had written the WrestleCrap book, and the publisher, ECW Press, I mean, the book did very, very well, and so they were always asking him, like, when are you going to write another book? And he had uh, approached me about it. He said, you know, what do you think about the idea of writing a book about uh, the death of WCW? You know, the thing went down. You've been writing about it forever. And he had been uh, reading Figure Four Weekly for a long time, and... I had always wanted to write a book, and so I was like, sure, let's do it. I didn't know what I was getting into. I just thought it would be fun and something that I'd always wanted to do. So I talked to Dave about it, and Dave you know, thought I would be able to write this book in you know, a matter of weeks, and that was not the case. Uh, luckily, I did not wait until the last minute to write it, but I, I did wait longer than I should have, which I did not do this time, by the way. I was much smarter this time around, but... We uh, we wrote it. It had a lot of different. Uh, we had a lot of different ideas about how to do it, and finally we settled into what we settled in, which was the first book, and it turned out to be a pretty big success. So very happy to have the re-release coming out now. Was the re-release harder to write than the first release? Oh God, no. There there was nothing in the world harder than the the first one. The the, the re-release was hard, but a lot of it was you know, putting stuff back in that we'd had to take out. There was a lot of stuff that we'd had to take out of the original book due to uh, space limitations. And so we just, you know, at first we just had to put a lot of stuff back in, but then we had to go through and we had to revise a lot of it, uh, add a lot of stuff in. And there were a couple of chapters that I essentially rewrote. Like I rewrote the 2000 chapter. I rewrote the pre-1995 chapter. I have a new epilogue there about what happened with uh, TNA, kind of the legacy so there was a lot of new stuff that I did, and there were times where I was very miserable when doing it. But at the end of the day, it was it was much easier than writing the thing from scratch, which I'd done the first time. One of the biggest people I felt like that helped bring WCW up from Jim Crockett Promotions to WCW's heyday was Eric Bischoff. And I know he mentioned before in many uh, different interviews that he was surprised when Ted Turner was willing to give him the Monday night slot for Nitro and TNT. I guess what was how big of a role that Eric Bischoff did play for WCW and Money Nitro? Well, you know, people have asked about Eric Bischoff because you know the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. I believe he was on the ballot and he dropped off like pretty much immediately. And and to me, I mean, for the first three years of of Nitro's existence, uh, Eric Bischoff was a Hall of Famer. He uh, he knew. I mean, he turned the wrestling business around. 
with Nitro and, and some of the concepts. I mean, these weren't concepts that like he had invented. You know, there's there's nothing really new in wrestling. He came up with the idea of an invasion storyline. He had a lot of money to work with. And he was he was very open minded to a lot of different things. And that was one of the problems with the WWE at the time. They were they were stuck in their ways and they were promoting a uh, it was a wrestling product that was not really lighting anybody's imagination on fire. And Bischoff came along and and he had some ideas. He he stole some ideas from Japan. He uh, uh, stole some ideas from from Mexico, brought in a lot of talent. And he was a, at the beginning, he was a visionary. And the problem was he had a great vision at the beginning. But as always, when time passes, you, you, you have to uh, change with the times. You, you know, you, you, you can't run with Hulk Hogan on top forever. And that, that's pretty much what he thought. As long as I got a Hulk Hogan, you know, we'll always be making a lot of money. And the reality was that uh, there came a time when Hulk Hogan was not the answer. But Hulk Hogan remained on top. And the the decline of WCW uh, came at the same time that WWE was on the ascent, or WWF at the time. And WWF started doing a lot of the things that, that Eric Bischoff should have done, but didn't. They were creating new stars. They were going a new direction. And so it really accelerated the problems in WCW because now you had something that you could compare it with. Like today, people compare uh, complain all the time about Raw, there's not really anything they can compare it with because there's no other successful wrestling company that's going to give WWE a run for its money. There was for WCW and it was WWF. And so it was really a double whammy of, of their own incompetence. And then the success of the other organization that was going head to head with them. I know you were talking about Hulk Hogan. Uh, How big was Hogan turning heel and joining up with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall to join, to form the new world order? I mean, it was a big deal. Um, you know, people were booing Hulk Hogan, but when Hulk Hogan came to WCW in, in like 1994, I mean, he did a lot for business. He, he was very, he, he, it was a very successful period for them, at least compared to some of the previous years. It wasn't the most successful time in their existence, but compared to some of the times that they had had previously, Hulk Hogan really did help a lot, but you could even see, uh, in early 19, uh, mid 1995, actually, uh, we're just now on the Brian and Vinny show, going back and watching a lot of the old Nitros. And you can watch those. Uh, it was Nitro number six, I think we watched the other day. And even a Nitro number six, which was uh, early October of 2005. I mean, you could already hear people starting to boo Hulk Hogan. And it only it only got worse from there. And it wasn't like a situation where business was, was tanking because he was a heel or he was a babyface. But the heel turn was something that really did, like, uh, it turned business around for them. It was a uh, it was a big, successful moment, and it really led to their greatest success. It led to them becoming the biggest wrestling company in the history of pro wrestling, anywhere in the world. And unfortunately, then later, it uh, helped bring them down. I know uh, on the WWE Network, they're going through different snapshots of the Monday Night War, and the second episode talked about the NWO and... I think they ripped it from a 2002 interview with Eric Bischoff that mentioned, I think it was him who mentioned, that they were thinking about having Sting being the third guy. How well would the NWO have worked if if it was Sting that churned and was the third man instead of Hogan? Well, it's hard to say because the angle itself was really hot. You know, the, the angle was that these guys from WWF were coming over and they were invading WCW. 
And this is just like the easiest storyline in the world. I mean, you, you really can see how easy it was because Nash and Hall were not even like the biggest stars in WWF. Uh, Hall was like a mid-card guy. Nash had been champion, but he'd been a flop as champion. And you had these two guys come in. But because they'd been in the other company, uh, they were big stars. And, uh, you know, they came over and they uh, they helped boost this company to new levels because of a very simple storyline of, of a wrestling war starting. So even if it had been Sting instead of Hulk Hogan, it would have still succeeded to a big degree because it was an easy storyline. It was a, it was a basic storyline that worked very well. But Hulk Hogan, I think, I don't think there's anybody that you could have put in that position that would have made it a bigger deal than Hulk Hogan. He He was the guy... He it was it was his first uh, big time heel turn since Hulkamania had begun uh, since 1983, 84. And it was a long time coming and people were ready to boo the guy. And he really helped make it what it became. It still would have been pretty big with Sting, but it wouldn't have been this big. Oh, one thing that looking back, you know, through of the history of WCW and reading your book, one thing I'm surprised WCW dropped the ball on was Bret Hart and the whole Marshall screw job situation. Mm-hmm. How could WCW or what 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 would have been the best situation for WCW to bring in Bret Hart after the whole Montreal screw job? Well, they they should have done it exactly the way that he left WWF. I mean, he was he was the WWF champion who had been screwed out of the belt. And he should have come in as like a, a conquering hero and a big time baby face. I mean, he was a sympathetic person to wrestling fans. And I think a lot of people, regardless of all of the good stuff that Brett might have done in the company, I think that they remember his WCW run as a time where he came in and he was just there crying about everything that had happened in WWE and complaining. And, you know, he, he had a heel turn and it was just kind of like you, you couldn't have a bigger waste of a character than what they do with Bret Hart. And, uh, you know, it was a storyline that really should have written itself. You know, he didn't come in as a champion, but in a lot of ways, uh, because of what happened in Montreal, if Montreal had never happened, I don't think he would have went to WCW and been nearly as big a star as he could have been. Uh, the Montreal screw job should have put him over the top as a, as a giant superstar. And, and WCW dropped the ball on that in every conceivable way. Could or should have WCW do what WWF did in 1990 when they brought in Ric Flair, have Bret Hart come in as the real world's champion? Uh, they could have done that. Uh, I don't know about the legalities of it. Uh, they could have called him like the uncrowned world champion or something like that. Uh, there were a lot of different things. This is an example of something where you, and I'm sure everybody listening to this right now, can come up with like a million things that you could have done with Bret Hart that would have been better than what they did with him. And it's the story of WCW, especially as as they came to the end. And and even WWE, when they bought WCW, everybody could have come up with great ideas about what to do with with all of these guys here. And they just uh, they went a different direction. And it was uh, it was a failure with Bret Hart. WWE made it a failure. You could have you could have come up with a million ideas for Goldberg. So much good stuff that people could have done. And they uh, ended up doing none of that. Well, you mentioned Goldberg and. You know, the big mistakes and all that. How big of a mistake was giving Kevin Nash Goldberg streak? A uh, huge mistake. You know, it was the uh, the world famous finger point of doom. 
And, you know, in the grand scheme of things that killed WCW, that's uh, that's one of them that is way up there in terms of just uh, a storyline that ended up just driving off, you know, millions of fans. You know, every fan has something different that was a straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, every every show that I've done talking about death of WCW in the last couple of weeks, somebody has brought up something that to them was like the final straw. This was the th- this was the straw that broke the camel's back for them. And uh, and and for a lot of people, that was that was the straw. Uh, it was on there this gigantic show. There were so many people watching. There were so many people there, and and that was what they thought was a great idea to give the wrestling fans. And it was a it was a complete disaster. Uh, it was a terrible idea. Uh, I can't come up with enough bad things to say about it. Quite frankly, who should have been the guy to defeat Goldberg and take the world title from him back in 98-99. There's no name because because it wasn't time. You know, ideally in pro wrestling, when the time comes to do something, it's abundantly clear that it's time. And and when the time comes, it should also be abundantly clear who the right guy is to uh to take the title. I mean, th- this goes all the way back to when uh you know, when when Vince McMahon Sr. had the title on on uh, on superstar Billy Graham. And years in advance, he already knew the day that superstar Billy Graham was going to lose the title and to who he was going to lose it. And and Billy Graham to this day thinks this was a huge mistake. Uh he was he was doing great as champion and he felt that he had more legs, but Vince had it in his mind that I had this day set dating back to whenever and therefore, this is the day that we are taking the title off of you. And it was probably not the right time. And it was the same thing. You know, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right guy with Goldberg. Who knows who the right guy would have been? Who knows? They never should have promised that Hogan would be the guy when he beat when Goldberg beat him the first time. You can never make a promise like that. You know, the idea today is that uh, Roman Reigns is going to get the title at WrestleMania. But who knows if it'll be the right decision at the time? A lot of things can happen between now and, and WrestleMania. Uh, just like in the mid-90s when uh, Lex Luger was going to win the title from Yokozuna at WrestleMania, and the fans changed the direction of history by telling the company they wanted it to be on Bret Hart. And and so, you know, Vince McMahon Jr. made a, made a change for what his original plan was. You, you should never decide in advance what you're going to do with who, uh, or at least not set it in stone, because you never know when there might be a better option out there. How much did it hurt Goldberg in a way his job into the taser by Scott Hall in that match? Um, well, I mean, just the idea. I mean, everything about it hurt Goldberg. You know, the the way that it happened, the way that uh, everything, everything was wrong with it. You know, uh, a guy like Goldberg... I mean, we were just talking about uh, WrestleMania 6 on, on Wrestling Observer Radio the other night, and uh, WrestleMania 6 was the passing of the torch from uh, Hulk Hogan to uh, the Ultimate Warrior. And when the time came uh, to pass the torch, Vince thought, this is the new guy, and he's going to be my new champion. It was never about how can we protect Hulk Hogan? How can we, how can we screw Hulk Hogan and put the title on the ultimate warrior? No, the, the torch was supposed to be passed. And so warrior beat Hulk Hogan clean in the middle of the ring. And if, if Goldberg was going to eventually lose, the idea should have been that you, you're either going to make a new star or you're going to make a new diabolical heel. And whether you're going to make a new star or make a diabolical heel, 
hitting a guy with a cattle prod is not the way that you that you make this change. Because I know I, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, which I know I called in a, into a Wrestling Observer Live the other night and kind of talked about the WWE title nowadays. I know some of my friends and I kind of go, go back and forth on the WCW world title and comparing it to the WWE world title nowadays with Brock Lesnar. It seemed like when Hulk Hogan was the WCW champion, it was very rare that he would defend it, especially on pay-per-view, you know, comparing it to Brock Lesnar as champ nowadays. Did it hurt Hulk Hogan or the title when Hogan didn't, didn't defend the title at every pay-per-view back when the Monday Night War was happening? I'd have to go through and, and do all of the uh, the comparisons for the buy rates and that sort of thing. I it's just like uh, it's just like anything else. I mean, uh, you know, I don't I don't think it is the end of the world if you've got a hot main event and the title isn't on the line. I don't think it matters if the title is not on the line. And if you've got a a main event, if you've got a title match that nobody cares about, the title is not going to save your main event. I mean, to me, it's always been about is is uh, is the main event a main event that people want to see? You know, if if your title can add a luster to the main event to make people want to buy it, then then sure that that's a uh, then that's great. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's I don't know if the title and it really depends on the title and who it is and everything like that. I I don't think it's always all about the belt. If you've got good strong main events. You don't have to headline with a title. And that's obviously what WWE is going to try and do leading to Royal Rumble because they don't have the champion on the shows. So they're going to try to uh, put together compelling main event storylines not built around a title. And if they're able to do it, then it's going to work out great. And if they're not able to do it, then it's going to be a failure. Uh, whether the title is involved or not is, to me, secondary to whether people care about whatever the main event is. I know you kind of answered this already, but is there any... Anything that WWE could do to looking back at Hogan's run as an outline for Brock Lesnar nowadays? Uh, I don't know if I'd look back at Hulk Hogan's run as a uh, as I, I wouldn't I wouldn't compare. I, I look back at, at at WCW and there's not a lot of things that I would try to copy today. Uh, even like a, an invasion storyline, like if TNA went out of business tomorrow, I'm not sure that an invasion storyline would would be the best thing for business based on uh, what people think of of TNA. Um, it's 2014. Everything has changed. It is a, it is a different business. It is a different world. Uh, you got to take everything on a case by case basis. I mean, there, there were probably a few things. If you go back like uh WCW's, uh, you know, they were very open to using different guys, different styles, that sort of thing. So, you know, you, you could copy something like that. Just, just giving everybody something different than what they see every night. But as far as like booking, there's not a whole lot that I would go back and, and recreate. Maybe a monster truck battle on the roof of some building. Well, Big Show is still around, so you can have Big Show and Brock Lesnar. Yeah. I, I, I don't think the world is clamoring for that rematch. But I know and something I wanted to talk to you about. I know you kind of talked about it often on different interviews and even talked about it with Dave a couple months ago. But I remember on Twitter that Vince Russo kind of made a a big deal out of nothing about how you guys reached out or how he claimed you guys didn't reach out. You and Artie didn't reach out to interview him for the book. And yeah. he claimed, yeah, he claims you guys didn't, but it's yeah in in the book that you guys have. Is, is there anything more to what you've, besides what you've already talked about it, is there anything more you want to mention about the whole Vince Russo topic about the book? 
Not really. I mean, we uh, we offered to talk to him for the book, and he made it very clear he did not want to do any other uh, interviews about WCW. And so we, uh, I believe that R.D. even uh, talked about it in his uh, acknowledgments. He talked about uh, he put over Vince Russo. You know, R.D. is a is a is a friend of sort to Vince Russo. They get along. Uh, they don't talk wrestling, but uh, they talk everything else. And uh, Russo turned us down. And then later in a late night rant on Twitter, ranted about how we never contacted him for the book, which we had. So I don't really have anything more to say about the situation. I mean, I, I feel like Vince Russo in the sense that I don't feel that I need to ever speak of Vince Russo again. I, I'd be very happy if I never had to again as long as I lived. So are you suggesting, Brian, that stay off of Twitter after midnight? Oh, yeah. I never tweet after midnight. Are you kidding me? Well, you do for after dark. Uh, that's 11 o'clock p.m. here where I'm at. Well, it's 1 o'clock over here, so I guess... Yeah, that's your time zone's problem. Yeah, and I guess another question I wanted to ask is, I put on the network on last night when I was coming up with this outline for questions today, and they had, I think it was Halloween Havoc 1994 with the main event being Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan in a steel cage match for, I think, for Hogan's title for Flair's career. And, yes, and in the, I think the match or two before that, they had Terry Funk and Terry Funk uh, tagging with I think Bunkhouse Bunk against the Nasty Boys. You know, kind of with you know Terry Funk being in WCW, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage. You know, some of the stars that from yesteryear with from the eighties from WWF and other territories. Couldn't they use those guys to build up such stars like Goldberg, Jericho, or Guerrero when they had still had them instead of keeping the old. WWF mid-eventers on top. Uh, that's exactly what they should have done to turn everything around, and, and they didn't. You know, the, the, the number one problem with WCW was they were never able to create any new stars. Uh, they ran with a pat hand, as they say, for too long. It was the same guys on top. It was the same guys on the bottom. And it's just kind of uh, reminds me a lot, actually, of, of WWE today. I, I'm not saying that WWE in three years is going to be out of business because they're not. But when you uh, when you look at, uh, at at WWE and you and you watch like and you look at the main events and you look at the undercard. I mean, uh, I do have to give them credit. They have elevated some guys. They have elevated uh, Dean Ambrose, for example, and Seth Rollins. We are getting some new faces in the main event. But obviously, when things go awry, they always go back to the same guys. They go back to John Cena, and they go back to uh, to Randy Orton, and the same guys over and over. They're afraid to really elevate new guys and give them that main event spot. Like uh, Dean Ambrose and and uh, and Seth Rollins, I'm sure are going to be headlining Hell in a Cell. But that's only because John Cena is already working the uh, the opener, and he's going to be working another main event probably with Randy Orton. So Cena wrestling two times on one show, um, it, it's a lot of uh, similarities to uh, to WCW. So, so yeah, they just didn't want to give up to what worked before. If that makes any sense. Uh, what do you mean? Like like the wheel, if the wheel isn't broke, why fix it? Well, yeah, I mean they they have confidence in Cena, and they don't necessarily have confidence in uh, in anybody else at this point. And uh, I don't know. I guess. Uh... One one last question, or sets of questions. What should TNA have taken away from the rise and fall of WCW before they opened their doors in 2002? Um, before they opened their doors? Yeah. Uh, well, they shouldn't have hired uh, half the people that worked in, in WCW. 
You know, if I were starting a new wrestling company, let's just say that uh, TNA went out of business and for some reason, some guy came along and said, Brian, I'm a new, uh, I will give you X amount of dollars and, and you can start a wrestling company. So you need to hire some, uh, some production people and some wrestlers and some announcers. I mean, you really think that the first people that I would hire are all of the people that worked in TNA? Like, probably, man, probably not. Yeah, let, me, let me hire the local promoter of the TNA house shows. And uh, while I'm at it, I'll, I'll hire the exact same announcing crew. I'll hire the same wrestlers. And I'm going to try and run a promotion in a six-sided ring. I mean, nobody in their right mind would do that after what happened with TNA. But uh, that is essentially what TNA did when WCW went out of business. Same people that worked for WCW came to work for TNA. The same wrestlers. They were looking for the same guys. Uh, just not the way that I would have done it. Uh, with Bone for Glory happening last night, what is the outlook for TNA? Is there is there a future for TNA after the next couple weeks of tapings on Spike TV? Oh man, I don't know. I mean, it, it all. I mean, at the end of the day, the reality is it all depends on if they get a television deal. But I, I watch the TV tapings now, and all I can think is, okay, so you got a television deal now? What? We're going to get like uh, three more years of, of depressing television tapings in front of 250 people. Uh, you're going to hire. I mean, I can't imagine them getting as much money as they got from Spike TV. So they're still going to have like a ridiculously limited budget. So I, I don't know. I, I watched the show and and uh, I, I just don't know what good it's going to do to uh, to sign a new television deal. You're, you're just uh, delaying the inevitable. You're just keeping this thing on life support. Uh, they need like a complete and total makeover of everything about them. A new name, uh, new ring, new announcers, new wrestlers, no more Dixie Carter. I mean, they got to completely rebrand re if they want to have a chance. And I don't see them completely rebranding uh, anytime soon, if ever. Would it be best for TNA just to close its doors and find work elsewhere? I don't know what the best thing would be. I mean, I don't want to see anybody lose their jobs, but um, I don't see TNA in its present form uh, being any sort of success or having any sort of growth. I mean, I, I guess if they're happy just kind of struggling along and, and being a, a very, very distant number two, and really depending on the TV deal they get, they may even be number three. Uh, they could be behind Ring of Honor, in fact. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I don't see the... I I just uh, I, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, th the best I see is like a continuation of the last four months, which have been very depressing uh, for like another two or three years or however long a TV deal they sign. I guess anything is possible. Like, you know, WWF turned around in the mid 90s and WCW turned around in the mid 90s. But again, it was a different wrestling time. It was a different period. It, everything was different then than it is today. So I, I just don't know what you do with this company. If TNA closes its doors, would it help Jeff Jarrett and Global Force Wrestling out in yet all? Uh, it might. I mean, I think that uh, Global Force is having a hard time getting TV because everybody's negotiating with TNA. Um, maybe even negotiating is a bad word, but, you know, if, if TNA is talking to a, a TV uh, network, they are probably going to have a better in than a global force wrestling because at least TNA has a track record of running a television show, which, which global force does not. So, I mean, all things being equal, I'm sure global force would have an easier time if TNA wasn't around, but, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they would have an easy time. I mean, they may still not be able to get a television deal. Who knows? 
It is a, it is a tough time for pro wrestling in this country if you're not WWE. Well, Brian, I want to thank you for coming on and making some time to, uh, yeah, come on and be go on and have another interview. Uh, I like to give you some a chance to do some plugs. Yeah, I just want to uh, plug the book. It is Death of WCW. It should be available in bookstores everywhere on Tuesday, October fourteenth, and it is already shipping from Amazon.com. You can get it on hardcover, softcover, and Kindle at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, anywhere you can buy books. You should be able to uh, to grab Death of WCW. And uh, I want everyone to go to WrestlingObserver.com. we got a lot of great stuff up there. I've added a new feature. If you are uh, not a subscriber and you don't listen to a lot of our shows, if you go up to the front page right now, uh, on the front page is a link to whatever is streaming at this moment. So it says here, streaming free right now, the Brian and Vinny and Craig show from October 8th. So you can go and click on that and listen to the show. There will be free shows airing all the time on the stream. So check those out, and if you like what you hear, you can sign up to the website, and there's 6,000 audio shows in the archives and two new audio shows every single day. So check out WrestlingObserver.com, and thank you for having me on the show today. Thank you, Brian and listeners. Stand by. And we're back from the interview with Brian Alvarez from WrestlingObserver.com. You can find his stuff at, obviously, WrestlingObserver.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Brian Alvarez. That's all one word. Brian, thank you again for coming on. Listeners, thank you for sticking through the interview. So, Brian has always been somebody who I wanted to get on to interview, and I felt like it was apropos to get him on to talk about his re-release of the death of WCW. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. You can follow me on Twitter at Dirty Dog M-E-S. That's dog as in T-A-W-G, Dirty Dog M-E-S, on the Twitter machine. You can listen to us on our website, maineventstatus.com. That's maineventstatus.com. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash maineventstatusradio. That's all one word, facebook.com backslash maineventstatusradio. Guys, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you guys on the next episode.